It's the Basketball Hall of Fame's Legends Podcast. I'm Kyle Belanger. And joining me today is a man who really needs no introduction, and yet I'm about to try. He's a 1995 NBA champion, a 10-time All-Star, a gold medalist on the 1992 Dream Team, a member of the NBA's 50th anniversary all-time team, a, 20, a 2004 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in Shriney, and one of the most iconic games and nicknames the game has ever seen. He is Clyde the Glide Drexler. Mr. Drexler, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here today. Absolutely. Do you still, is there still some, uh, when someone mentions the glide, does that still get you want? do you still want to get out there and, and, and just show people how you can tomahawk it again? I mean, does the glide get the juices flowing? Well, the glide went through Fly Slamma Jamma and then 15 years in the NBA. And the minute I left, the glide was retired. <laughs> the only thing I, the only thing I glide to today is is, is my refrigerator. Um, <laughs> so let's let's actually go all the way back to to the college to to college to Phi Slamma Jamma, the University of Houston, and when Clyde Drexler officially became, uh, along with some young fella named Olajuwon, a, a member of the national consciousness. Now. We could talk about University of Houston, all those incredible years, but I want to talk to you about a legend that I've heard over and over again and just find out if it was true. Rumors have always persisted that new players who wanted to be in Phi Slamma Jamma had to stand under the hoop while Clyde the Glide Drexler threw down a tomahawk jam on them. Is, is that true? Can you, can you put those rumors either to bed or verify them? I can certainly put that rumor to bed. That is so false. <laughs> we were we were kind and polite to the new members. We were not cruel. That would be cruel. <laughs> now, now if they had a different jersey on and we were playing a game, that would probably happen anyway. <laughs> but we were always very kind. And that's, I think, the one thing for those of us who who watched those Phi Slamma Jamma teams. Not only was it a revolutionary team for the way that you played, but there was also a genuine care for everyone both on the bench and in the game was that really when basketball basketball has always been fun to 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 Clyde Drexler but was that when basketball when you realized that there was a level to the fun that just maybe you were just starting to explore well it it was a golden time in the era of basketball I think it was the same uh, time that ESPN was starting to blossom and so the games were more prevalent you could see more games and uh, you can see more highlights. And so we were probably the first group to take advantage of that. And people could see that we certainly had a special group that was led by Guy V. Lewis, Hall of Fame coach himself. And uh, our guys played real basketball. We didn't we didn't fudge. We, we played great defense. We played above the rim. And we enjoyed playing the game. And we worked extremely hard. But when the games came, we had a great time. And that's the way the game is supposed to be played. You're supposed to play out of joy. It's not a pain or it's, it's, it's not a level of frustration that you should play the game with. It's out of pure joy, respect for your competition, and trying to be the best. We're speaking with Clyde Drexler, one of the true all-time greats uh, in this game that we love so much. Now, after college, um, and you talk about the joy, that, that Portland Trailblazers team, um, after Coach Jack Ramsey used that number 14 overall pick on you, 
It became clear right away that that might have been the most important selection in that franchise's history, and that's a very, that's a, a pretty storied history for that Portland franchise. Now, how long was it before you realized that something special was happening in the Pacific Northwest? Oh, well, well, I had a pretty good college career, and so going to a coach like Jack Lanzer, who's a legend and a Hall of Fame coach himself. Remember, he won the '77 title with the Blazers. And so he had a championship pedigree and he knew what a, a good formula was for winning. But I think in, in, in the early to mid eighties, you know, Jack was a phenomenal teacher of the game uh, for a rookie to go in and get under his tutelage. Obviously, you know, he, he had an old school mentality where rookies are not going to play. The veterans are going to play, obviously, but you're going to learn so much under Jack Ramsey. And, and I, I was when I first got there, and I wasn't playing much in my rookie year, 10, 10, 12 minutes a game, I was pretty upset because, you know, he's not giving you a chance to really prove yourselves in the game. <laughs> and, and, that, and that hurts. For, you know, you, you could dominate practice, but in the game, you get 10 minutes. So that hurts for a young guy coming up. But that's the way those old school coaches were. They're going to make you prove yourself repeatedly. And the, and the veterans are going to get every chance to keep their jobs. And so it makes you work extremely hard. It makes you focus on every aspect of your game to get better. And that's why you had a better finished product back then. Now guys are young. They get thrown in the fire. And a lot of times they're not refined as they should be. It takes a long time to do that. But having Jack Rams as a coach in my rookie year, my first three years, was a true blessing. And, uh, you know, the Trailblazers drafted me with the 14th pick. What a tremendous honor. I was grateful. I was there almost 12 years as a result. And what a great a, a, a great time in the great Northwest. And when you look back at that draft class, you and Ralph Sampson, both in the Hall of Fame, that that is a true all-time draft class. Then in 1992, Clyde, in Barcelona, in, in, in many ways, I, I don't want to ask because the legends are so large about that dream team, but, but that roster, that summer, those games... Uh, that's that's a separate chapter in American folklore. Um, so with, with all the stories that have been told and all the documentaries and all the interviews, what's the one question that you wish people asked about that summer more often? Um, what was it like playing against guys on the other teams that you had previously competed against that you really had no relationships with? Yeah, that's a great point, because when you think about this, this was before, and for our listeners, this was so far before Twitter and so far before social media. Some of these guys you had, like you said, no relationship with, and then there you were, Chuck Daly at the helm. Y'all had to develop a relationship quickly, didn't you? Well, first of all, think about it, Chuck Daly. Chuck Daly, we had the the Trailblazers played the uh, Detroit Pistons in the 1990 finals. And back then, you didn't really, you respected your competition. But boy, you didn't like them. And so, <laughs> from Chuck Daly on down to all of the players that are on the other team, I mean, we had a healthy respect for one another, but we always wanted to beat each other. And back then, the, the competition was a lot more stiff. I mean, it, 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 because we didn't see each other a whole lot. And so when you saw them, you, you, you definitely wanted to beat them. And so we had a little bit of an edge because these are guys you wanted to beat. Now they're your teammates. <laughs> and of course, and so it was really strange. It was really strange because 
the guys in the Western Conference, obviously you played in all-star games with them. So you're a little bit more comfortable. But still, the Western Conference was fierce competition every year. So you didn't want to get too close to those guys. And then in the East, well, we only saw those guys two times a year. So we certainly didn't like them. <laughs> it, it was strange now having to be teammates and having to get to know these guys. But, you know, competition, you should always have a healthy respect for, for the other teams. And so it was no problem, but it was just strange. The first three or four days of getting together was just very strange. <laughs> That's a quiet lunchroom. That is one quiet lunchroom, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, but, but after three or four days, trust me, everybody's getting along like brothers, like we had known each other all our lives. Because the common goal was we were one team playing for our country, and it was a tremendous honor for everyone. And anyone who was listening who maybe is too young to remember, just take a look at those scores. Take a look at those scores from the summer of 92, and you can get a load of just how much of a dream that team was. Now, after a couple of NBA final trips in Portland, you were reunited with Hakeem in Houston. Um, That summer, you picked up your first and only NBA title. Can you talk about that season and how special that was to be able to go back to Houston? I mean, it really, for those of us who lived through it, it really had poetry written all over it. Clyde goes back to Houston, reunited with Hakeem, wins a title. Is that how it felt personally as well? Yeah, it felt even better. It felt like, just like you said, like a movie script, something that was meant to be preordained, something that had happened before. I had a deja vu feeling that whole year, and and, and it culminated in an NBA final. But, you know, we had some great years in Portland. We were one of the best teams for three straight years, which is hard to do. When you when you go into the finals, Western Conference finals, three straight years trying to win it, you are dead tired. Believe <laughs> I don't know how LeBron James is doing it. He's 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 going for his seventh straight NBA finals, and that is so tough on your body. And I, I have the ultimate respect for him for doing that. But back then, it was very difficult because we we played running gun style, tough pressing defense, and so we hustled and we scored a lot of points. But we played very hard, and we, you know, we're playing 38, 36 minutes a game. So it, it was a challenge. But for the most part, um, you know, we had a lot of success. And so I have a, a, a meniscus cartilage injury in 90, right after the Dream Team in 92. And so my game is set back for about a year and a half until I got completely healthy. Well, 90, the year 94, 95, that was the first year I'd been completely healthy since the Dream Team. It took about a year and a half. And so I was looking, Portland was really looking to rebuild. And I was looking in my 12th year to, to kind of fight for a championship to get on an, uh, another opportunity to have a chance to win. And so when the Rockets called, I was like, hey, this is perfect because they were the defending NBA champions. And they were having a lot of trouble with their team and they needed to make some changes. And I was like, hey, I love to be a part of it. This is perfect. So uh, it, it, the trade happened. I go to Houston, and people go nuts, and they act like we're going to win the championship. I'm thinking, oh, no, no, no. This team has been injured. They've been frustrated. They've been a little discombobulated in terms of their chemistry. But they still have the main pieces that were able to win the championship the year before. And so my job was to reunite everyone, get healthy, and energize them. And so that's what, luckily, with Rudy Tomjanovich at the helm, Leslie Alexander, Rockets owner made the move to get me to Houston, something that Kim Olajuwon and I have been trying to do for the last 12 years, 
<laughs> to no avail. But Leslie Alexander comes up and he makes the move and he, he, he uh, disassembles the championship team and he takes a chance and we win it again. So it was a phenomenal moment in time. I always thank Leslie Alexander for bringing me back home to Houston and winning the championship, you know, reuniting me with Hakeem Olajuwon. And it was special because I grew up in Houston, obviously, and playing at the University of Houston with five slam and jammer, we had some great years, but we came up a little short. And so when I came back to Houston, got reunited with Olajuwon, and were able to win the championship, that was like vindication for all those close years at the University of Houston and all our friends, fans, the, the, the city of Houston. That was a, a big moment in time because Houston didn't have that many championships to celebrate at that time. And so it was tremendously uh, important, and, and it was just a great moment in time. Now, Clyde Drexler, I have two two questions, and I get chills thinking about that summer. That, that summer after that trade, it was such an incredible summer for the NBA your game, your grace, your explosivity, it seemed like it would last forever. How did Clyde Drexler decide uh, it was time to walk away? Well, the, my, my biggest thing was I love to compete. And I didn't want to just stick around to stick around. <laughs> I, I actually, in my 12th year, I was thinking about giving it up because I'd had some injuries. But I felt so good and I could really, I had my game back. I was completely healthy. And it takes a while to get over the, these injuries. so. I said, I can't retire now. I'm into my 12th year. I got a lot left to give. You know, you can still average over 20, 22, 24 points if you want. Six, seven rebounds. That's that's pretty good numbers for a guy who can still get it done. And so in my last year, my 15th year, I said, you know, I, I can still average and help a team pretty well and do some most of the things I've already done. But it's only going to get worse from here. <laughs> And I always thought you should never overstay your welcome. And so I think in my last year, I led the Rockets in scoring and assists and steals, which means you can still play. You still got your quick muscles. You hadn't slowed down at all. But I think I always thought 15 years is a long time. It's taxing on your body. Longevity is important, but it's also important to preserve yourself for the future. And so I think every year after 35 for a guard, in the, in the NBA, I think it breaks down your cardiovascular system a little bit too much. And so I was thankful for the 15 years, but I didn't want to do any more damage. You know, as you know, and everyone else knows, you, you got to keep that cardio system intact in, in as long as you can. And when you plan professional sports for that long, it does a lot of damage to your system, which is the reason you get your pension a little bit earlier than the average person. And your life expectancy is probably 10, 12 years shorter as well. So you got to look at all the factors. And those were the determining factors. And the one thing that I didn't want to do, and this was, this was big for me, I didn't want to be on somebody's bench playing 10 minutes a game, you know, acting like you can still play when you really can't. And then they'll say, well, he's helping the young guys come along. I, I just didn't view that as any fun. That was never going to happen to me. So I retired where I could still play at a very high level, where I could help a team out. And, 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 and when I ceased to stop helping, I thought it was time for me to go. And so if you leave early while you can still play, you're never going to overstay your welcome, basically. That's so well said. Clyde Drexler on the Basketball Hall of Fame Legends of the Game podcast. One last question for you, Mr. Drexler. 
What does it mean to be working with the Hall of Fame at this stage in your life? Oh, the Hall of Fame is an incredible organization. I mean, they, they culminate all these fantastic moments and players and coaches and contributors and people who have been a part of this wonderful game we call basketball for many, many years. And so they're our, our, our history, our conscience. Uh, they're, they're someone who, who can tell the stories of what actually happened during our time and before us and after us, and they'll always be there. And it's a tremendous organization, great people. Uh, I, I always respect and love what, what they do. And anytime we get a chance to, to help or to, to, to kind of assist in what they're doing, it's a tremendous honor and a blessing. He is a 1995 NBA champion, 10-time All-Star, gold medalist on the 92 Dream Team, member of the NBA's 50th anniversary all-time team, and a 2004 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame inductee. Clyde the Glide Drexler, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure.